Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest, Larry Hagner. Larry is the proud father of four energetic boys, the husband of his soulmate, Jessica, for the past 20 years. When he became a father for the first time in 2006, it became clear that he didn't have the skills to be the best for his sons. Larry was short on patience and quick to anger. I can relate with that. Honestly, he admits his marriage was mediocre at best. He learned quickly that the desire to be a legendary father, man, husband, wasn't enough. He had to learn the skills to actually do it. In 2015, Larry founded the Dad Edge podcast and learned the skills from experts to live a legendary life as a husband, father, and a man. Over the past six years, he has interviewed over 1,000 experts on parenting, mindset, patience, communication, intimacy, optimizing health, and the power of community. Life isn't all sunshine and rainbows every day. However, he has learned skills to optimize his life as a man, husband, and father. Larry, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? I'm ready, man. Let's do this. I'm, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you on here. And, you know, I've shared with our audience just a brief overview, a little intro. But if you could just take us back, share us a little more detail of the Cliff Notes version of how you got to be running such a successful podcast, husband, father of four, and kind of where you are today. Man, I wish I could say it was like all planned out, but it, it really wasn't. It started out of really darkness, to be honest. And I, I never even meant it to be, you know, a full-time organization and what it is today. So we just kind of like, we stumbled our way through this. And, but I, I guess that's also sometimes what fatherhood feels like or, or being married feels like, right? Right. My story is kind of unique. It's kind of crazy. I'll, I'll give you the 30,000 foot view. And if you want to dive into more detail, I'll be happy to give you more detail. I was raised just really in sort of a chaotic environment, but I think a lot of people you talk to, that's kind of their shtick. Mine's a little bit unique. My mom and biological father were married pretty young. Like I think they were just 21 and uh, they had me four years later in 1975. And my dad and mom divorced like nine months after that. And I have no recollection of my biological father. Didn't even know I had one. In fact, I remember being in preschool when I was four and dads would come pick up their kids from school. And I knew what a dad was, but I just knew we didn't have one. But it really wasn't a big deal to me because I just thought, it, I still remember this as a kid. I always thought moms go out and find dads and my mom just hadn't found our dad yet. So like our family wasn't complete yet, no big deal. So I'll never forget the first time she brought a guy home. She told me that day, she, she had been dating somebody. She's like, hey, I'm having a special friend over for dinner tonight and I want you to meet him. And I heard the word he, and I was like, oh my gosh, like it, she found the dad and like this, this has got to be the dad. So this guy comes walking in our house. He's wearing a three piece, you know, suit. He's a white collar data software engineer. And I, first time I ever remember a guy walking in my house when I was four. And my very first question when I shook this guy's hand was, as I'm like gleaming at him was, are you going to be my dad? And, you know, like, I remember like even the feeling like this hush came over the room. I think my mom was quite embarrassed, but 
they did get married about six, seven months later. They were married for six years. He stuck around till I was 10. Every year they were together, they just got progressively worse. He was a heavy drinker. He traveled a lot for work, heavy handed, physically abusive, mentally abusive. My mom and him were like oil and water, you know, just, they, they just didn't mesh. And I think my mom more or less liked the idea of it, but didn't really work out. He left when I was 10, haven't seen him since. I actually found out about 10 years ago he died. But I really started asking a lot of questions. I'm like, wait a second, like, where did I come from? Because I still, it hadn't put the pieces together yet. And that's when my mom told me that at biological father. I'm like, well, where is he? What was he doing? Well, I ended up meeting him when I was 12, just by accident. I'm happy to go into detail, but I don't have to. But I met him when I was 12 and it wasn't on purpose. But we had this relationship. He was remarried at the time, two-year-old son, another one on the way. And he lived three miles from us, which was crazy to me. Wow. Yeah, and he came to all my Little League games. I mean, dude, I was so excited. I, I immediately started calling him dad, like right out of the gate. You know, didn't call him by his first name. Like he was my dad. And it was right around month five, like things just started to feel weird. Like almost like strained, like he was under pressure or stress or duress. The way I describe it is, Think of a woman that you've dated in your past and she's not into you anymore, but she hasn't told you yet, but you know, it's there, you know, it's coming. That's kind of what it felt like. And then one day I just called him up and I'm like, Hey, I just kind of get this feeling like what's going on. Like, it's just kind of weird. And one thing led to another. I don't even remember what happened in that conversation, but that was it. And we went our separate ways. My mom continued to date. She got married one more time, but we had live in boyfriends and there was just revolving door of just toxic men constantly in my life. And she got married again. And then fast forward, went to high school, went to college, met my college sweetheart. We've been married now for 20 years, but I'm 30 years old, expecting our first son, terrified out of my mind, navigating my way through at the time was two years of marriage and falling on my face over and over again. But I'm in a coffee shop here in St. Louis for a business meeting and who came walking in to get his morning coffee with my father. I hadn't seen him since I was 12. Well, that interaction, that serendipitous moment turned into what has now been an 18 year relationship with him. And it's more of a friendship and still married to the same woman. I have two younger half brothers. We're, we're close. Um, I'm very close to my youngest brother in particular, but I will tell you that I wasted the first six years of my oldest son's life. And my youngest at the time was four, but how dad edge got started was, is I was the exact description that you gave in that. And it wasn't for the lack of intent. Like I really intended and desired to be a great father and a great husband. I mean, you were a cop, right? I felt like I was a cop that never went to the police academy and I was stumbling my way through it. Like I was just trying to figure it out and I just wasn't doing a very good job. And a dark moment happened. I always told myself, cause I was hit a lot growing up. I was like, I'm never going to put my hands on my kids in anger. And my four-year-old stepped out of line. One night, as any four-year-old would, for crying out loud, right? And I spanked him on the rear end. And unfortunately, I spanked him and he lost his footing and he fell. And there was something about watching him fall. And then I was like, oh my God, like, what did I just do? And I went to go pick him up and he shuddered and he looked at me like he was terrified of me. And I never put my hands on my kid before that. But like the fact that I saw that in that moment, I remember feeling that and doing the same thing, like when I'd go to get hit by somebody my mom was with or my mom or some dude in our life. And that was the defining moment. You know, it wasn't sunshine and rainbows and suddenly like there was like an epiphany that I want to do something. It came out of an absolute darkest moment. And I started what was Good Dad Project then, now Dad Edge. I was just like, I'm done doing this. I'm done trying to figure this out. And at the time I was really good at my job. I was in sales, medical device sales. I was pretty good at martial arts and I was really good at fitness. 
And I started really looking at those three things. I'm like, why am I good at those things? But I suck at this. There was one common denominator. And I was like the police academy. It's like, well, I've been trained in my job. I have an undergrad degree in sports medicine and nutrition. So of course I'm good at that. And I go to class. I have a mentor. I have an instructor. I have a community that I do martial arts with. I practice all the time. So of course, like, why wouldn't I be at least good enough to be dangerous in those areas? And what did I do with marriage and fatherhood? Nothing. I was just expecting some way, somehow I was just going to stumble my way through it and figure it out and be a great father. And, and what I found was is the same rules apply. If we learn, which that's where I started the blog and the podcast, all of this always has, always will be a learning environment. And the coolest thing about being behind the microphone is I get to learn every single week from somebody who's way smarter than I am. And the cool thing about the podcast is our audience we all learn together, right? I know a thing or two, you know, about marriage and communication and parenting now more than I did 10 years ago, for sure. Do I know everything? Oh my God, absolutely not. I feel like I've just begun. And every season right. there's a new challenge. Like right now I'm raising teenagers and this is first time I'm doing that. So it's always learning. So how old are the children now? Yeah, all boys, right? All boys. Four of them. Yeah, 17, 15, nine and seven. Okay. Always new challenges. Yeah. And, you know, I've just committed to being a lifelong learner. And I think it's one of those things, whether it's parenting, fatherhood, anything, is the more I learn, the more I realize there is to learn. And so I just love that perspective of you sharing that. You know, if, if someone's listening and thinking, hey, there's going to come a time when I've got it in any area of life, probably not going to happen. Yeah. You know, probably not a really a good place to be, wouldn't you say? I mean, would you recommend always being the lifelong learner? I think some of the most successful people in the world, like some of the most successful people have come on even my podcast or other people I've heard on other podcasts, they identify themselves as a lifelong learner. Yeah. I don't know if we ever get to the top of the mountain, right? I mean, yeah. I remember when I was in martial arts and when our black belts became black belts, like when you're like a white belt or blue belt or whatever, right? You think like that's the Mecca. And my instructor always said, that's actually where the training begins. It's not yeah. all the belts before. The training actually begins at black belt. And Love that's it. true. My gosh, man. I mean, you know this, right? It's just, it never stops, which is great. Right. If you have that attitude of like, we're always going to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can agree with you about having guests on the show, like yourself, smarter than me and getting to learn every single week from new people. It's a lot of fun. When did you start? You mentioned your blog and your podcast. When did you start all that? How many years back was that? So Good Dad Project actually started as a Facebook page. Back in 2012, I didn't know anything about websites. I had no desire to start a blog. Didn't even know what a blog was. And then I had a good friend of mine, actually, Sean Stevenson, who runs the Model Health Show. is a really popular show. He, he and I were really good friends. I was a client of his for a while, and then we became really good friends. And I saw what he was doing, and he knew that I had this mission about being a good father. He's like, have you ever thought about doing a blog? I was like, Dude, I don't even know what a blog is. He's like, I can show you a few things. And so he showed me. He's like, so we launched the website in 2013. I was like, okay, I guess I'll blog. I got really tired of blogging after a couple of years just because I'm like, okay, this is cool. But what I really want to do is have conversations with people. So I started the podcast in 2015 and that's when really things took off, you know, as far as like learning and giving our audience just a ton of value. And that's when really the launching pad was. I love it. So you've been doing it about eight years. I know yeah. you've had an incredible success. I know the podcast is in the top half of a percent of all podcasts, millions of podcasts globally, and you're just crushing it. What would you say has been a key? And you can take this question any direction you want personally or professionally, but what do you feel has been one of the keys to your success? 
It's a great question, man. I haven't been asked that question, I don't think, in a long time, if ever. But I think number one for the audience sake is consistency. In eight years and over a thousand episodes, I've never not hit a show on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. There were times where we just had a Monday show and then it evolved into like, oh, well, maybe we'll do like a Friday one too. And then it evolved into like, well, let's do a Wednesday Q&A. And the only time we've ever missed a deadline, quote unquote, is when our server like doesn't want to produce the show. And then I'll get an email from somebody like, hey, your show didn't come out. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then we'll tell the team, be like, hey, the show didn't launch. Oh, we, we had it in the draft folder. Sorry. Boom. And they'll let it out. So consistency, yeah. I think, is is really key. But I think two other factors. Number one is not being the guru. There's one compliment that I take to heart every time I talk to somebody and they're like, dude, like you're just a real dude. Like you're just very authentic and you're so open about your flaws and you're so open about your imperfections, almost to the point like where it's like a detriment. And I was like, well, I don't really view it that way, you know, because that's how I think we all relate. Like as the host, like I honestly feel from an audience perspective when I'm doing my own podcast. I'm just sitting in the front row. That's the only difference. And I get to ask all the questions. You know, you kind of feel like the teacher's right. pet in a way with these guests. So that's one number two. But the other thing too is back in 2018, I got a coaching certification in a discipline called exchange, which is based around what's called appreciative inquiry, which is basically the art of conversational excellence. So I'm not good at a lot. Let's just make that known. But there is one good thing I can do, and that is have good conversations. I watch people very closely. I listen very intently, and I'm able to ask questions that bring the best out in them. For instance, I just had Sean Patrick Flannery on the show, and just to be able to build chemistry with a guest and safety with a guest, the last 15 minutes of the show, he shared a story. It was from his childhood. He was getting emotional sharing it, and he just shook his head. He's like, dude, I've only shared this story one other time publicly in my life. And I can't believe I'm doing it on this show. He's like, but I think that really shows the comfort level, you know, that, that the guests feel, you know, and I listen to my guests too, as a listener. So I think about what is Sean saying right now? And if I'm a listener in the audience and I'm driving to work and I want to know what is something that I need to build on here? What is something I'm curious about? And I'll bring those things to the forefront. So I listen as a listener as well. I love it. Some great advice. Consistency. We hear a lot. Yeah. Consistency, big time. But I love that you brought out not being a guru, being relatable, I think is what you said. Being relatable, super important. And communication skills. Yeah. I mean, those are some golden nuggets for success in any walk of life, I would say. 100%. Can I ask you a question? Is that okay? Yeah. Fire away. My best friend is a police officer and we just hired a company to, cause we have drivers now, <laughs> I have a permit driver and a licensed driver. So we got them. Um, it's scary. It is, but we actually hired this company that is owned by a retired law enforcement officer and he's got active duty police officers who work for him and they teach our kids tactical driving, you know, like how to avoid things and how to think and all that. And I took our guy who has been working with our sons out to dinner. Cause I just want to thank him. And one of the things we talked about is he's like, dude, he goes, if you really want to know the secret to being a really effective police officer is be a really effective communicator. Like you can actually deescalate somebody that you think is impossible just by talking to them. And I think with your experience, right? I mean, you're not born with that stuff, but through what you've done, I guarantee like 
you have those skills. You've had to talk people off the ledge. You've had to take a really triggered situation and dial it back, calm somebody down. Like, so you know this probably better than anybody, right? 100%. In fact, you just reminded me of one of my favorite books on the topic. I wanted to ask you what the training course you went through. So I'm going to come back to yeah, that. Sure. But just for our listeners, in case they're curious, I was thinking and wondering what our listeners are thinking. I, that's what I was thinking. I don't know if I caught that and I haven't heard of that before. So I want to know, but a book on the topic that you asked me, Verbal Judo. Oh, it's been around. I don't know how many years it was recommended to me in the California Highway Patrol Academy back in 1998, I guess it was when I went through and phenomenal. And, and the whole art of judo, you know, is not to meet force with force. Right. And I'm probably not going to do, it's been years since I've read the yeah. book and I didn't do judo. I did taekwondo. So I'm probably going to mix and match a whole hodgepodge here, but you're not going to meet someone force with force. You're going to use their force and divert it. And to do that with our words, it's powerful. It's helpful to the other person and it's helpful to us. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Deescalating situations used it all the time. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, verbal judo, that's going to be the next book that I yeah. grab off Amazon. That, that I, it's I, a great I'm so one. curious about that. That's cool. It's a great one. I am curious though, back to your story. Yeah. What was the course? Let's, let's yeah. get that out. You got certified sure. in some communication course. I'm curious. I did. So it's coaching and communication. So it's, it's called exchange, but it's based off of what's called appreciative inquiry. David Cooper's writer, he was a professor at the University of Cleveland. He came up with basically this discipline of coaching and facilitation and conversational excellence. Do you know who Hal Elrod is? Yes. Okay. So oh, Hal, yeah. Hal and one of his partners, John Berghoff, a lot of people know Berghoff too. But everyone knows Hal. Hal was kind of like one of the pioneers, like he didn't create it, but he's definitely been one of those guys. If you look at like what he does, how he talks, how he podcasts, how he even writes, it's based within that discipline of appreciative inquiry. So really what it is, it was about 25 hours of home study. And then we went to Cleveland for 50 hours of in-depth training. And basically what it is, it's a way that we can have a conversation where you know that I'm listening to every single word. And, and I'm talking genuinely. I'm not talking about like, oh, just tactical Jedi mind tricks. No, I'm actually listening to every single word that you're saying. I'm also listening and watching body language. I'm also listening and watching for you know verbal cues, voice tone, just things I can tell that are either triggering or, or meaningful. And I'm also looking for emotion, right? What I do is I get very curious and appreciative when I talk to somebody. The opposite of that is how most human beings go to conversation. And this is great, by the way, with marriage and kids. What most human beings do is they go to every conversation with expectation and agenda. So like, for instance, if I'm going to come talk to you about something, I have an agenda of what I want to talk to you about. And I have an expectation of probably how I want that conversation to end up, right? Or, and if it doesn't happen my way, I, I might get flustered. I might not listen to you. And I tune you out and I'm trying to sway you into doing what I want you to do. So appreciative inquiry allows you to be curious and appreciative and allow the conversation to go in a direction that will bring number one connection, psychological safety, but also bring about a solution that we both feel really good about, right? For the most part, does it yeah. always happen? No, but it's an art of conversation. And also it's a beautiful way to coach somebody one-on-one -on -one, or my favorite thing to do is facilitate a group. I'll give you one quick example of one thing that we learned. Please do. So, and this is great to do at the dinner table. This is great to do in the work setting. 
But one of the things that we do whenever I host one of our mastermind sessions or we host our live event, which we're doing our next live event here in October, is the first thing you do is you connect everyone to what's called a shared purpose. So like, for instance, we'll have 200 people at our event in October. Everybody is there for very similar reasons. And there's also the people there for very different reasons, right? So what we do is we pose a beautiful, what's called a generative question, not just a question, but a generative question, because a generative question creates vision, images, emotion, ideas, and even questions. So we'll create a question of like, hey, if you were to leave this event tomorrow night and you were celebrating a fascinating skill that you know is going to connect you to your wife, to your kids, what would be most meaningful for you to learn and why is it so important to you? That's a generative question, right? Get guys to jot that down. Then what you do is you kind of surprise them with this. You're like, okay, guys, we want you to go find a partner and we want you to share what it is you wrote down and why. What you do in that moment is a beautiful thing because what most people do at events or big groups is you sit there in your chair and you just listen to the person on the podium. That's not the way we facilitate events or the way we do our trainings. What we do instead is when you connect people, the connection is like the glue. It's like the mortar, right? For people and groups and things like that. As soon as someone does that and they share some of the most intimate reasons why they're there, what's most meaningful for them to learn, why it's so important for them to learn, there's going to be a story that goes with that. Suddenly they feel psychologically safe because they just connected to somebody in a smaller setting versus 200 people. Then here's what you do. This is why we call it appreciative inquiry. We bring everybody back and we say, hey, we don't want you to share your story. What we want you to do is we want you to acknowledge and appreciate the person that you were paired with, what was something that was most meaningful for them? People are really excited to share what they heard from somebody else and very bashful to share their own why for the most part. As soon as you do that, the person sharing feels really damn good. The person who's highlighted is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is so cool. I had no idea I even inspired somebody like that. Then as facilitators, we theme, why are we all here? Why are we connected to this shared purpose? That literally brings the entire room to life and connected because you do those things. And that's just one skill that we learned, but that's one way. That's amazing, Larry. I love that. That's so, so good, especially for anybody that facilitates events. What a great way to start it off. I love it. Thank you. How often do you do these events that you were talking about? You said you've got your next one in October. Is that annually, quarterly? How often do you do that? We do our own event in October, October 19th and 20th. I wouldn't want to share any information without your permission. But yeah, we usually have about 200 guys out of that event. This would be our fifth annual one. It's our fourth because of COVID. We had to push things off because of COVID. But then I also do a lot of speaking myself. So normally what I do is when I come in to guest speak, I'm usually the first speaker at an event. And it's usually for that reason in particular, I do that exercise along with what's called a five, 10 and 20 year visioning. If you really want to create some connection with people, pair them up and have them share their 20-year vision of what's most meaningfully happening in their life. You'll bring people to an emotional level that they haven't shared that with anybody usually. So yeah, that's usually what I do. Yeah, I love it. Share your October event. I would love for you to share it. I'll get away. So it's going to be in St. Louis, Missouri on October 19th and 20th. If you're not a business owner, you can find that at thedadedge.com forward slash summit 2023. If you're a business owner, we have what's called an entrepreneur day. 
And if you buy a ticket for Entrepreneur Day, that you also get a ticket for the rest of the summit for the next two days. But that's a more intimate setting. We're probably only going to have about, I would say, 40 to 45 guys there who are all business owners. But really what they're looking for is what we call the trifecta. And we've been running this program for quite some time, which is our dad business owner program. So we help men create an extraordinary marriage, create an incredible connection with their kids, all through these skills that I'm talking about, while also continuing to grow and scale their business. So we bring those business owners in and we welcome people outside the community who aren't a part of that group as well. We have several guests who are coming this year. And it is just such an empowering way to get together in a room with not only men, I think we all know the business owners, that their sole purpose is to build an empire while their relationships under their own roof crumble. But that's not our guys. They're like, I want to build an empire, but not at the expense of this. Right. And that's where we teach guys all three. I love it. I love it so much. Keeping the priorities, the priority and still scaling businesses yeah. and, and doing big things. Yeah. Impacting lives in a variety of ways, but not neglecting the most important relationships right under our noses there in home. 100%. Take me back to age 32 or 30. 30. I'm trying to remember when you finally realized, man, my short on patience, you know, my quick to anger, the things I think any father that's honest with himself could probably acknowledge at some point in their life they've experienced. I know I can, certainly. Did you have some kind of aha moment? What was it that shifted for you to realize something's got to change and what changed? What did you start doing differently? Luckily, I'm married to a very forgiving, tolerant woman who is the best woman on the planet. Very patient with me. With the way I grew up, I had zero relationship skills. (laughs) I'm talking none. And she comes from a long lineage of wonderful family. Like, there's been not one person, at least going back four generations, that's ever been divorced in her family. Like they stick it out. And her mentality is you always work it out. You always work it out. There's nothing we can't get over. That's like her mentality. My wife is my best friend as well. Yeah, you too. She is my best friend. Yeah, it's so cool, man. When you can have that relationship, she doesn't nag me on anything. Like she doesn't like dig at me or anything like that. She's very respectful and appreciative. And I do the same with her. But when she does give me constructive feedback, it doesn't happen often, thank God, right? But when it does happen, and I say thank God, because like when she does say it, I am like- All ears. I'm all ears because number one, I I know she's right, right? (laughs) We both know it. And number two, I really value like her feedback because she's not going to say it if she doesn't mean it. And I'll never forget after that episode, she saw with my four-year-old and she saw how kind of broken up I was. And she knew my history and she knew I was floundering and she's given me a lot of grace. And she looked at me and she goes, you know, you have it in you to be a great father. You have it in you to be the husband you want to be. She's like, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. She goes, but I know you're not satisfied where you're at. And she goes, and you have every bit of potential to do this well. You're just getting in your own way. And that's where she reminded me, what would it look like if you just allowed yourself to learn? That's it. Just allowed yourself to be a student of this. Wouldn't that feel better? And dude, I don't know what it was about her saying that, but it just took all the pressure off. And I was like, oh my God. So I don't have to know how to do this and beat myself up when I get it wrong. And she's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm learning. Like you can learn too. And that was it. That was it. That was all I needed to hear. Wow. Sounds like you've got a wise 
wife. Oh my gosh. She's great. Great. I love it. I love it. And it's just a great example too, of the power of somebody. You didn't exactly say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. Believing in you. Yeah. Just to know. And people look at other people thinking they don't have insecurities. We all have insecurities. Every single one of us, right? Different ones, different sizes. They change as the years go by. But man, to have a supportive, loving person, any person, especially a wife, that can believe in you and speak words of life into your life, it does amazing things for men and for anyone for that matter. So just a great reminder to me, I want to be that person, not just for my wife, but for anybody that God allows my life to touch. That's great. Maybe someday I'll get to meet your wife. She sounds like an amazing lady. As mine is as well. So I thought you were talking about mine there for a minute, the way you were describing her. It's like, yeah, Nicole doesn't give me advice or, you know, suggestions or constructive criticism, whatever you want to call it very often. And when she does, I'm all ears because she sees something important that she wants to say. So what'd you do? What was the shift though? So she says that that gets your attention and and then what's next? What do you do? Yeah. So, you know, I I didn't know this at the time, but uh, do you know who Mike Matheny is? I don't. So he wrote the book called Matheny Manifesto. He was the St. Louis Cardinals manager for a while. He's the youngest St. Louis Cardinal manager ever and might've been the youngest manager in baseball ever, but he was the catcher for the Cardinals when we won like the world series and that kind of thing. But when he took over for Tony La Russa, which was one of the best managers in baseball ever. And he went into Tony's office after Tony said he was going to retire and Mike was announced the new manager. And he's like, all right, Tony, like, I'm way over my skis here, man. Like huge, right? Like, so what do I need to do? And Tony just smiled to him and he goes, you want to know what to do? And he's like, yeah. And Mike is in there with a notebook. He's like, learn something new every day. And Mike's like, okay. And he he writes it down and he's like, then what? He goes, that's it. Rinse, repeat, right? So that's exactly what I did. And I started that Facebook page, not a group, but a page. I'm just like, I'm just going to learn something new every day, even if it's the simplest stupid thing. And I'm just going to post it here. And I never did it for a following ever. It's kind of a funny story, but I just posted it there, just kept posting it. And then more people started to follow. And I, not that I really cared. I just posted it for myself. So I go in and remind myself it was probably about, I don't know, nine months or so. I'll never forget this. I got a DM from a woman and she's like, Hey, I'm in your local area. Call me. I have an opportunity for you. And I'm like, okay. So I call her and she's like, Hey, I'm a part of a mom's group here locally at church. And we've been watching your page. We want you to come out and speak. And I'm like, what? Speak on what? And she's like, on how to be a good dad. I was like, you got the wrong guy. I'm trying to figure this out. She goes, no, 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 no. That's actually what we like about it. You're so deprecating on yourself and you're very articulate with how you're talking about what you're learning. She's like, we don't need anything formal. We just want you to come out. And I was like, okay, well, how big's the group? And she's like, there's 350 of us. And I'm like, 350? She's like, yeah, we're the biggest one in St. Louis. And I'm like, all right. And so I did it. And it really allowed me to put some pieces together of like, okay, what have I learned? And what have I learned through mistakes? So my first speaking event was in front of 350 women. And when I saw how they responded. I was like, and maybe there's something here. I don't know. Not that I ever thought it would turn into what it has now, but I was like, maybe there's something here. Who knows? But that's how it all started. Wow. And you've been learning and growing and still yeah. not stopping. No. How many years later? Is that about 16, 18 years ago? No, that no, was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Wow. 
if you could go back in time and give your younger self without that father figure and we can keep it in the context of fatherhood, we can take it broader into just the success, the incredible success you've had as an entrepreneur, however you want to answer it. But what advice, what's one, and I'm sure there's many, but what's one piece of advice you'd love to give your younger self? Can I share one both personally and professionally? Absolutely. So personally, I would sit myself down. I've thought about this. I've been asked this before. And I would tell myself, listen, man, when it comes to marriage and when it comes to parenting and when it comes to your own mindset and health around this whole thing of family, don't do it on your own and be a student of it. Be willing to learn and be hungry to keep learning and surround yourself with like-minded men. If you surround yourself, and I did for a long time, if you surround yourself with guys who want to numb their pain by going out and partying and drinking and getting hammered and then that's what you're going to become. But if you're around other men who are like, Hey man, like, no, this is super important to me and I'm willing to learn. Let's exchange information. Let's talk about our struggles. Let's talk about our wins. So surrounding yourself with the right people and continue to learn is personally a big one. The other thing, professionally, I actually left a very lucrative career to do this full time. And what I can tell you is the golden handcuffs are a very real thing. I worked my way all the way up to a national sales director for a medical device company and was well into the six figures. And I did both of these things for a while. I, I did Dad Edge on my own time and I had scaled it to where I really took myself like out of the day to day, but it was in it enough to keep doing what I'm doing. And that was a tough thing to leave, but it literally was poison to my soul. And it really taught me a hard lesson of like, you can make all the money you want and still be miserable as all could be. I love Steve Jobs' quote, you know, the late Steve Jobs is, the only way to do good work is to truly love what you do. But I don't think that's everything. I think one of my gifts of just a handful is I'm able to take a passion, the thing that I love the most, the thing that I love to give the most, and still find a way to put food on my table. If you can do that, like I'll never forget a mentor that I had in 2015 who gave me this gift of permission. He's like, dude, so many people, and this guy was 60 years old. So many people think I have to hate what I do in order to make money at it. Cause there's a certain amount of guilt that if I make money doing what I love, then it's just not noble. He's like, let me tell you something. If you can make money doing what you love, you can put food on the table and change somebody else's life for the good you've just opened up the trifecta of the joy of life. And I tell my boys that all the time. I'm like, listen, the nine to five is for some people, right? But if you have a true passion for something and a problem you can solve for somebody else and a joy that you get from that and you're able to feed your family, do it and don't be afraid. 100% agree. Larry, you're speaking my language, brother. I mean, you're, you're telling my story. I mean, well, this isn't about yeah. me, it's about you, but I just got to say, I was running a multi-million dollar business. I was taking home strong seven-figure annual income. And when I started, what I was really passionate about, the business I started eight years ago, and it was only, I'll use the word only in quotes, but it was only making roughly $100,000 a year. I literally handed my company, my interest in the company, I had a couple partners, three partners. I handed my interest in the company, the initial company I was running, CEO of, just walked away wow. to do what I started doing for 10%, let's say at the time, the income for the same reasons you just mentioned, because I was all about impact. 
got to put food on the table. You mentioned that. Got to make income. But I could pay my bills on that because we had a low debt load, even with a family of eight. But I was about the impact in people's lives. And I was about doing something I was passionate about and something that, as you said, you'd wake up and you're excited about what you do. Anyway, I love that you said that because I think not enough people are saying that and many, many more people need to hear that. What advice would you give to someone else in the midst of their challenge? You definitely did not have an ideal upbringing, you know, not knowing your father till you were 12 and then thinking you might have them and then losing them. And then many, many years later, having them back as a friend, which I'm sure you're grateful for, but it's still not ideal. Probably that was a huge challenge. I'm sure there's others you haven't shared, but for anyone going through any challenge, what advice would you give them? It's fascinating. You bring this question up because uh, we literally, so our, our dad business owner mastermind, which I personally facilitate, we had a gentleman, I'll just use his first name. His name is Brian. He literally talked about a challenge that he was going through with his wife and daughter and business and that kind of thing. And, and one of the things that I think trip up men the most is, and, and these were his words, and I was so glad he said it, was when I get into the lows, I hit the low lows. And that tends to snowball into other things like I'm in a low, low. So I let my fitness go and then I start to eat bad and then I'll drink a few beers and then I lose my patience with my kids. And then my wife and I are distant. And then it literally steamrolls into this thing. Right. And we congratulated him, you know, brought him in. We're like, dude, yeah, that's like the majority of how we operate as men. And you're a big faith-based guy. And so am I. So we challenged him a little bit. So the short answer to this question was, that I was like, listen, when the low lows happen or when the high highs happen, right. It doesn't matter. Right. Do you have levers in your life that are non-negotiable, whether you feel like doing them or not, you do them. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, for me, it's scripture and fitness. Those are non-negotiable. And I'm talking about in the morning, right? Let's just say I'm in a low, low state. And of course my family is one, but right. I'm talking like for me personally, I was like, so for me, I have to start every single morning with my Hallow app. I listen to the daily gospel by Jonathan Romy. I do my reflections, I do my prayer on the way to the gym. Whether I feel like getting up or not, whether I feel like doing it or not, whether the business is having a rough month or not, whether or not I just lost my patience with my kids, no matter what is going on in my life, those two things are going to happen. And here's what happens. Almost every time, I have yet to see like a catastrophic thing where it keeps going. Once I do that routine and I get out of the gym an hour later and I've been filled with the spirit and I've been filled with my fitness, I'm like, all right, the low, low ain't so bad. I think I'm ready to go again. But not having those non-negotiables, that's dangerous, I think. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys are just like, I don't have the time, right? And then everything goes. So I think having those non-negotiables are so important. Such great advice, such great advice. I wanna just kind of in rapid fire, Larry, just throw some questions at you that you can just give some 30 second type responses sure. to if that's okay questions I like to ask everybody. A success quote. Do you have a success quote that you might be willing to share of any sort? Again, I, we've been taking this dad focus, which I love because I'm so about that. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the show. Just you being an expert in that area, but in entrepreneurship anyway, just a favorite success quote. There's one quote that always is, I, I think, on my heart and in my mind, and I, and I use it to filter decisions. Sounds kind of morbid and a bit extreme, but it helps me. And that is the definition of hell is meeting the man that we could have become when we're on our deathbed. And for me, yeah. when I'm tired and when I'm exhausted and my nine-year-old wants me to read him one more chapter of wonder and I don't feel like it, 
because I'm exhausted or maybe it's because I want to go get with mom, you know, mom's waiting for me. And yeah. I sit there and I think on my deathbed, would I be proud of that decision or would I harbor some regret? All right, dude, let's do another chapter. So like that quote always is a launching pad for me to make a, a good decision or, or I say no to something or I say yes to something. I love it. And that's with the assumption mom's okay with that and supportive of that great decision that you made, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What's one habit that's helped you become successful? I would say there, there's a couple. Um, so faith and fitness, those are two that are key for me. Faith and fitness, those are two promises that I keep to myself every single day. And David Goggins, I love David Goggins as far as his mentality goes on things because he's a big proponent of if you gave yourself your word that you were going to do something and then you slide on it, then other things are going to slide. Right. So for me, like if I do those two things in the morning, usually the rest of the day, I can either handle the challenges that come or I'm able to just knock those things off because I'm already in that mode. Yeah. I love it. Is there a piece of advice that somebody has given you in your lifetime that you just is memorable that you would say, this is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received? So yes, and they've come in the form of quotes. The same mentor that told me about the trifecta, if you can do what you love, make money and give somebody value. He also said, don't come home with a wallet full of money and a house full of strangers. Mm. So I think about that one too. And it comes to work life. Hey, I, I need to do more work. I need to do more work. I need to check my phone. I need to do this. I'm like, man, like if I'm not feeding both sides of that, my family and my business, then it's all for nothing. I know this is rapid fire, but quick, quick story. We just had a guy who joined our entrepreneur business. He's probably the most wealthy guy that we have. He just sold his company at 42 years old for $40 million. And when he joined our crew, I'm like, I asked him, I was like, why are you here? He crumbled. And I'm like, he's got three boys, 10, eight, and six. And I'm like, why are you crying? He's like, this is everything I've worked for. It's literally the golden gate I've been waiting for. And my three boys don't want much to do with me. And I still mm. have time to turn it around. And I was sitting there thinking like, holy crap, like this is a $40 million dude. And right. it means nothing, nothing if he doesn't have his kids. So yeah, that one's a big one. I love it. I love it. I've got a 29 year old, our oldest living on the streets of LA in active addiction, living in tents or wherever she can live. You see the videos of the streets of LA or any major city in the U S you know, that's the homeless camps. That's where she's living. And it's a big reminder of those earlier years of my life and going back to what I shared a minute ago of why I changed careers and why I do what I do now. But I didn't want it to end like that. You know, I didn't want to be that guy. And thankfully I was 43 when I shifted eight years ago and sounds like he's 42 and in the right spot around the right guys, around the right community and, and with the right support system and you and, and your programs and everything else to help him get pointed in the right direction and hopefully get that turned around. So I, I think that's great. And I just love everything that you're doing. Larry, what would you say is one book that you might recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? Oh boy. That's another big question. Yeah, huh? <laughs> it is. There was one book that really, really meant the world to me. And he was like one of the first podcast guests that I was like in awe that he was doing on my show. There's a Navy SEAL commander by the name of Mark Devine. He wrote yeah. the book Unbeatable Mind. And I remember mowing my lawn and doing every workout, just listening to that audiobook over and over and over and over and over. Those messages from him about 
your mindset and how powerful the mind is and how the mind can sabotage you. He really dissects it beautifully. And that book was like, I think I can do anything I set my mind to. Literally, the guy in the mirror is the one who's holding me back. That one was absolutely huge. If you're a faith-based dad, Wild at Heart, I love that book by John Eldridge. Love John Eldridge. So if you're a faith-based guy, I love his work. There's two great ones. I love it. What would you say is your definition of success? So definition of success is being comfortable with our finances and a little more. <laughs> I learned that from a podcast guest as well. I don't need tens of millions of dollars. I just need enough for us to be comfortable and a little more and enough for us to travel and make memories. But true success for me is being able to create an organization and a movement that brings other men and families together without sacrificing my own. Yeah, I'm good at those boundaries, but I want to create memories with my kids that when they're 60 years old, they're like, I remember going to New York with dad and we went to go see the 9-11 Memorial and the Statue of Liberty, which we're doing next month in the Empire State Building. But like just things like that to where like it's experiences over stuff, memories over possessions and adventure over things. That's our credo. And that to me is a life worth living. I love it. That's so good. Would you say it again? Those three things? Sure. Memories over possessions, experiences over stuff, and adventure over things. I love it. I love it. I've heard some of those, but not all three put together like that. I really like that a lot. When you think about the future, what right now currently is exciting you the most? I would say the thing that really excites me the most professionally is, so I've, I've got a new book that's going to be coming out and it's been done for a year. I, I had a publisher that went bankrupt. It was supposed to be published last September. So ah. uh, it's coming out soon. It's called The Pursuit of Legendary Fatherhood. So I'm really excited about the launch of, of that book. I would say as far as just continuing to impact more men and families through what we do in our mission. And then for my own, it's really the simple stuff. It's sitting around the fire pit with my kids, you know, having conversations that are based around appreciation and curiosity, creating psychological safety, using generative questions to where they want to tell me everything that's going on in their life and wanting to do that, not feeling that they have to. That sounds like a lot of good stuff to be excited about. Hey, how can our listeners connect with you, follow along on your journey, learn more? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Not hard to find on social media. The Dad Edge everywhere. My name's pretty unique. It's not very common. Larry Hagner, you can find me anywhere. TheDadEdge.com is where podcasts are. We have lots of free resources and trainings for, for men who want to see what we do. And then if you want more, we have two different programs, one for the career nine to five dad, and that's called the Dad Edge Alliance. It's our mastermind coaching group for, for our dads, husbands, and fathers. And then we have what's called the business boardroom, used to be called the business accelerator for our dads who are business owners, but also, you know, they want to create an empire, but not at the expense of creating extraordinary marriage in connection with their wife and kids. You can find that at the dadedge.com forward slash alliance. If they fill out an application, the application actually does the work for them. So if they identify themselves as a business owner, they go to that group to talk about it. If they're not, then they go to another group to talk about it. Perfect. Perfect. And sometime soon be on the lookout for the book, right? Pursuit of Legendary Fatherhood. Yeah. Love it. Can't wait to read it. Thank you. I'm going to give you the final word, Larry. Any closing comment that you might want to share with our listeners? 
Sure. I mean, I think we gave him a lot of good quotes, but I think a really big theme we hit on, and you, we mentioned the title of the book, my publisher at the time was like, why don't you just call it Legendary Fatherhood? I was like, because it really doesn't exist. I was like, no one gets to the top of the mountain and says, I'm a legendary father, but there's the pursuit of it. There's the lifelong learning of it, right? That. That's really what we're all about. So what I would tell you is don't go at this alone. It sounds self-serving and a shameless plug for what we do, but we've been doing it for seven years and I believe in it. And I truly believe isolation is the enemy of excellence. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together, you know, find a tribe, find a group of men who will elevate you and you will elevate them and live your best life. Love it. What a great word to go out on. I appreciate your time, Larry. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, sir. Back at you. Thank you. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.